Oh, hi, audience. What's up? It's Greg Stero here to introduce you to the True Blue Riffcast, where they talk about amazing movies, bad movies, and everything in between. So you're listening to the True Blue Riffcast. Enjoy it. Thanks, Greg. This is the True Blue Riffcast, the number one riff tracks podcast in the world. I am Jeremy, of course, and joining me as always is... Hey, everybody. I'm Dave. I'm here to make life terrible for Jeremy, as always. And of course, I'm the number one riff tracks fan, not Jeremy. But we've... We we've gone over that at length. We all know who the number one Rift Tracks fan is, and it's me. <laughs> it's me. But today we have a very special guest. Even though he doesn't work for Rift Tracks, Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks fans alike are familiar with his work. He's the guy behind Icebreaker, Pressure Point, and of course the classic Time Chasers. And now he's got a new film out available for rent or purchase on Amazon. This is David Giancola. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Oh man, this is like, this is so awesome that I actually get to talk to, I actually get to speak to the director of of Time Chasers because for my money, Time Chasers is hands down, not just the best episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000, but for, for me, it like, um I'll never forget watching it for the first time and never ever really being able to to forget it and um it's it's just something that has always stuck with me so i'm really excited that you're that you're with us on the podcast here dave well thank you david i, I appreciate that it's time yeah. changes is a funny one because i produced uh i've directed about over 20 films produced over 35 but time chasers just lives on in a way that I, i've made tons of other films that have just disappeared but I keep getting uh, fan mail and people keep coming up to me about time chasers and the cast and t-shirts and it goes on and on and on. And I'm very grateful. Yeah. That's one thing because I watched accelerator. I watched accelerator this morning. And like when I saw that guy wearing a Castleton shirt, I like (laughs) shot straight up and I was like, wow, (laughs) I did like words. I didn't think I'd say today. This guy's wearing a Castleton t-shirt. So like for me, that immediately (laughs) set the tone for what was for what was about to happen and it yeah the movie didn't let down no well thank you thank you and that it's funny with the Castleton thing it was it was not completely intentional uh what happened was we originally had a deal because we work on such low budgets we originally had a dane the character in accelerator works for a pizza place he's a pizza delivery guy and we had made a deal with a pizza place, uh, actually a place close by called Ramundo's Pizza, that he would wear a Ramundo's Pizza t-shirt through the whole movie, and we get four days of free catering for pizza. <laughs> and the problem was they didn't come up with the t-shirts until the night before shooting, and uh, they were the wrong color and the wrong size. And I'm sitting and looking at, uh, because we sell Castleton t-shirts at Edgewood Studios' website, mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking at all these other shirts, and the people working on the movie know, and I said... Okay, I know where we can find the right size T-shirt that'll look right, uh, and everybody agreed. The the only thing that we did do um, to to make it um, kind of feel better in the movie is we we uh, had to I think they had to wire brush the lettering down to make it look faded um, okay. because we didn't want to have a brand new shirt on the guy. So if you look at it, it's like the it's like the retro version. It's like a well worn Castleton T-shirt. But yeah, it just there was a synergy about it that, you know, things fell into place the way they should. Um, so, yeah, so the night before we, we started shooting, I said, yeah, this is a good idea. We'll do this. It was, and it, uh, 
It was definitely the right move. I got to say that. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. A lot of things, you know, directors, I'll just say real quickly, direct, a lot of things happen in movie that, you know, people take credit for, directors take credit for that, that are, that just happen. And sometimes with actors and things like that. And we, we can talk more about that. Sam Jones is a prime example. Um, sometimes things, you, happy accidents. I think there's a famous director who says good directors preside over happy accidents. Yeah. So I try to do that. Well, um, as, as just as long as we're talking about the castle shirt real quick, I always thought that that was a, um, like, I remember when I first saw Time Chasers with the castle, I was like, why is he wearing this Castleton shirt? It's like, it's a very visually, like, you know, your your eye is directed to it. But then later on, when uh, he gets duplicated, when Nick gets duplicated, you got like, okay, so the guy we've been with the whole time is the guy wearing the Castleton shirt, but the guy, the duplicate, is the guy who's not wearing it. So I found that like, oh, so I guess they might have done that on purpose, just so we have that visual so that we know which Nick we're following later on in the movie. Right. That, that was definitely intentional from, for a storytelling standpoint, but also um, Nick Miller is a professor at a, at a local college and that was oh, that's Castleton. Right. So that's kind of a bit of his backstory too. Okay. Okay. Uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about uh, accelerator. Now that uh, that movie, for those of you who don't know, was available over Easter weekend, uh, to stream free through rifttracks.com. I think they had yeah. it on their Twitch channel um, and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, Dave and I both watched the movie today and I, I rented it off of uh, Amazon and, you know, proud to, uh, to support you at least that little tiny bit. But uh, thank you very much. It, it was, it was definitely a very entertaining movie and I didn't really know too much about it going into it other than the, the little bits and bobs here that you posted on, on Facebook and, and whatnot. And uh, it was, it was a very fun movie to watch. I liked seeing uh flash Gordon up there and uh, the whole scene where he has the crossbow from the, uh, the, the Valmart <laughs> and the, the manager's going off on him because he opened it before he paid for it. Yeah. Like that's his like big that, problem. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. really good. Well, it was that that scene, and there is uh, probably the only deleted scene. There's a beginning to that scene that will release as a deleted scene later this week online. Um, the, it was just so much fun doing that scene, and we were we were. I literally had to hold my hands over my mouth because we were just roaring behind the camera <laughs> when those two went at it, and because the the, the idea of the scene is that. That you know, this is the first time you see this character Brink, how truly crazy he is, and uh, Mr. McGuire, the manager, he has no idea who he's talking to. Yes, so it's almost like they're having conversations with yeah. different people, yeah. which is what was so fun. It's like it's, it's it's like okay, it's like okay, so you don't get this, you manager of not Walmart, um, like you're being held at crossbow point, and like your biggest problem is like you didn't ask to see a badge sooner. You know, <laughs> right? Well, what I exactly, exactly, and that was, and it, that's one of the biggest. We screened at a bunch of festivals over over last year, and that is like I think the second biggest laugh in, in the movie is just that cut to Sam Jones with the huge crossbow, um, which was which yeah, so great. That worked really well. Um, one of the things I appreciated most about Accelerator was the um was the tone. Mm -hmm. These characters are making jokes. 
about just like everything that's going on and like the movie has the movie is has such a big fun blast being exactly what it is like the movie i don't want to say the movie's self-aware but it's um the movie does know what it is it makes no apologies for what it is and that's apparent in the tone and you're just sitting there you're just along for the ride with these characters it's like it's like you're with the characters and the characters are with you like 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 for right. me and right. i appreciate that and i like for me that's what takes something of a low budget nature and just like elevates it above like its contemporaries so it's just like that like that kind of appreciation for it well thank you that i mean that was obviously intentional and that obviously is another bit of that of you throw back to those 80s action movies that you know, that Harrison Ford moment and those moments in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which are very funny, but they're they're aware of the situation, but they're not making fun of, they're not camping the movie, yeah. you know, they're camping the situations. And that balance, it's got to be honest, is tough to get. Um, you you want to go kind of up to the edge of that self-awareness, um, but you want to be with it with the audience. You don't want to try and be ahead of the audience. You don't want to try and be belittling your characters. And, and that's something that, you know, I've worked hard on over, over the years and, and I do, and we have a, a lot of fun doing that stuff, but you're, but you're absolutely right. You know, we, the point is um, we're having fun with the situations and, and the insanity, you know, and the levels of it, um, but not making fun yeah. of the people, of the, of the characters. My other question about Accelerator, where, where is the uh, Asahi beer reference? <laughs> you, you know, the <laughs> so I had to ask, I was doing, um, I was doing a, a little, a little Twitch thing uh, with the Rift Tracks fans on Saturday. I think it was, I didn't know what the Asahi reference was from Radical Jack. And I didn't even know it was, I, I mean, if I'd have known, I would have slipped it in because Rusty Deweese, who's apparently the Asahi guy yeah. is an old friend. I could have had him come down and had him do a cameo. Um, and Rusty, actually, is an actor that that Asai guy. I think I've killed him in five different movies. Um, yeah, yeah, he four died, or five he died different Icebreakers. Yeah, yep. And he and died I think he, in Pressure Point. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He got killed in he got killed in Pressure Point. He got killed in Radical Jack. Um, I killed him in a movie called Diamond Run. So that's four. Uh, and I don't think I, I think yeah I think I killed him four times. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, but oh, a, a couple other things about um, that. I, when I first like when when the movie starts and um, we have our main character breaking into a car, and you have the mad scientist breaking into the other side of the car, I immediately went, "That's the sheriff from Radical Jack," and I was so excited <laughs> to see it. Yeah, that's Woody Keppel. Um, he's an yeah. old friend. We have had him in a few movies. He's also he was an icebreaker, um, and the part was kind of written for him um okay he, you know sheriff i didn't direct radical jack i produced it but uh he, he's i mean as the sheriff in radical jack i never thought he was suited for that um but the director james bradley at the time on that film really wanted him um whereas as tomas this was really written with him in mind and accepted mm -hmm. yeah. if, uh, for kind of like a lot of like his acting sensibilities and things like that yeah yeah I was in it's yeah. funny. That's, you know, one of my, as I evolve as a director, you know, you, you try and get better at what you do, but I, the actors were joking at me because my main direction on accelerator was generally to, to just say, look, okay, that was great. Let's do another one. And stop acting this time. 
Um, because <laughs> I, I didn't want anybody chewing the scenery too much more than they did already, you know, and especially with yeah. the Ryan was seen and Laura James, the two leads that who were fantastic. Um, they really had to, this was both their first feature and, uh, the, it, it was important to get the affectation that especially young actors bring to all the, all that nervous energy and stuff. You just want to get rid of it and just have them be who they are because they both had great chemistry. Mm -hmm. So um, the other question that I had about Accelerator, well, I have about 10 billion questions about Accelerator, <laughs> but if I ask all 10 billion of those questions, then we'll never get out of here. But um, the one thing I did want to ask was when they go down to <laughs> They go down to Chile, um, oh, God. and they go to that resort. A lot of that footage looks familiar. How much of that was taken from Icebreaker? Uh, let me see. A lot of it. Um, okay. Some of it was actually taken. Pressure Point was actually filmed at a resort in Chile. So some of it's from Pressure Point, I believe. Um, oh. And some of it is from Icebreaker. And some of it was shot back up at Killington uh, in the winter. Um, and it's interesting the, the, uh, it's, so it's a mix, it's a mixture yeah. of ice. It's a mixture of stuff. Um, it's interesting when I made icebreaker, this was 1999, this is pre nine 11. We were able to have free run at Killington and we literally, you'll see shots, um, of people shooting semi-automatic automatic weapons over people's heads and running around and blowing stuff up and things that Killington, which is now owned by a bunch of other ski resorts, they wouldn't let me do in a million years now. So mm -hmm. there's some shots in there that are in there from, uh, from uh, icebreaker. We've rescanned the negative because I simply, no one would allow me to do that. And it's tougher and tougher these days to get permission to do even simple things you know, for example, there is no uh, Walmart, Kmart, anything on the planet that will let you film anywhere near them. Um, yeah. And and I don't want to say exactly how we did all of that, but I was about to say because there are some there are some scenes in there that are definitely shot inside of Walmart. <laughs> well, I don't want to. I've got errors and omissions insurance, but let's just say that yeah. you can do a lot of things with a 4k gopro and a shopping cart <laughs> that's awesome that's all i have to say about that that was a good movie and uh you know i, I really enjoyed watching it yeah loved it i left a review on amazon yeah i really like the fact that you teamed up with rift tracks uh to to show that movie over the over the weekend and it shows that you actually have a a good um what's the a good business uh pairing with them uh you know we've seen a lot of edward films and and uh you you've done this now and what, what which are we're going to talk about yes yeah. yes oh definitely yeah, we, well, i mean i guess i, I have to kind of outline this so the relationship that i have with rift, rift tracks is a really good one um jeff witten who is uh, one of their guys um, yeah we know him uh, behind this jeff really sweet guy behind the scenes guy um we, I've been working with him since early 2016 from when we did the Time Chasers theatrical with them and with the other titles. Um, and we've gotten closer, you know, the more we work together. And Jeff had seen the movie in, in Hollywood when we screened it last year. And we've been talking for a while. And then with um, kind of everything happening with the release of the, where how I wanted to release the film, I knew it wasn't going in theaters even before this the, the, the pandemic and the coronavirus and all these other concerns. So, you know, we, we ended up coming into a really good relationship. It didn't start out super great. Mm -hmm. 
um, because there was a lot of trepidation on both sides. Um, you know, just in terms of, you know, I, I, I don't know all the filmmakers who have problems getting riffed, but, you know, I'm a filmmaker who owns my movies. So if they get riffed, then, you know, it's a business deal for me. It's an arrangement for me. I allow it and they license it and we work together on it. Um, but in some situations, I know, is I think Joe Don Baker is a famous guy who really hates the fact that he's been riffed, right? So, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. you know, he doesn't own his movies, uh, so it, it's not up to him. And he, he should get a sense of humor. But what was interesting is that, especially with that 2016 theatrical, um, we worked it out. I never paid the cast of Time Chasers. They all worked for a piece of the movie, which never really appeared. Um, so Riff Tracks worked with me, and we were able to take Matthew Brew, Bonnie Pritchard, George Woodard, and Peter Harrington down to Nashville for uh, three days, uh, airfare and lodging. Nice. We That's had a awesome. blast. We ate a ton of good food. It was, um, we're all friends anyways, even though we don't live that close to each other. Um, it was, it was like a, a family reunion. And then we went into a theater with 700 people, um, which was the most fun thing I've done in the last few years. And while they riffed the movie, while we were all sitting there and you, with, and, and you got to understand that, you know, we're, they're riffing it and they're, you know, Matthew Bruce taking some hits. We're all taking some hits, but we've got people in the, the seats behind us, patting us on the back going, Oh, it's okay. It's okay. And it was the most wonderful, warm, weird thing. And, um, and, the, and they ended up signing cast. I ended up signing over 400 autographs too. Wow. Um, and so they were like the, the cast was in, and I was in shock um, afterwards, just at, at all the love that came out there. And um and actually, it's very funny. You know, we, we were all very nervous about it. And they show you these shots. So Time Chaser's original theatrical release, I won't go on too long with this, but real quickly, um, we only, I think, ran it on 12 screens or something like that. And you're talking about theaters of 100 to 200 people and 20 or 50 people would show up. So I walk into the theater before the whole event to meet Jeff. And it's a 1,200 seat theater, and they got a replica of the plane hanging from the ceiling, and all the stage. And I, I almost had. Well, I did. I had kind of like a mini panic attack <laughs> that Jeff had to, Jeff had to kind of talk me out of. Yeah. It's like I was like Jeff, I, my brain is just frozen. It's not working. So we had a great time. And and um, one of the things that we do do is we, although I I am you know I, I am Facebook friends with a lot of them. You know we understand that. Um, the guys who have to go on stage and riff, um, you know, they're performers a, a, as well, and they deserve deserve my respect as actors. So we don't want to mess with their ability yeah. to be to full on riff as much as they want. So I make it very clear that we have a relationship. You have approval to riff, and yeah. there are no conditions. Nice. Because what would be the point? Um, it would it would be disrespectful to them, um, and and we can take it. You know, so yeah. Well, just 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 think of it. I mean, how many people have heard of your movies now, especially Time Chasers, like because of this, you know, I enjoy the movie. I I want to buy this uh, upcoming uh, HD remaster that you've got coming out. Yeah, I, I saw that. Jeremy told me about that before we started, like there's yes. going to be an HD remaster of it. Like I'm getting that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's a it's a it's an HD remaster from the original IP. Yeah. Fixed problems even that we had during the Rift Tracks thing. I actually was have color corrected most of it, and it's gotten pushed back to the end of the year because of accelerator and the coronavirus stuff. But it will be out by the end of the year on Blu-ray, and um, 
and uh, a v, a VHS, uh, maybe VHS, DVD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great though. I mean, it's it's a movie that I know I probably never would have seen without Mystery Science Theater, and and you know I've had that same thing with with a bunch of other movies that they've released. It's stuff that I've never heard of, but now. You know, I watch these movies on their own. Like uh, there's one they did with Rift Tracks called Ghost mm-hmm. House, which is one of my all-time favorite Rift Tracks releases. <laughs> but I actually watch that movie now sometimes without right. the riffs because it's just an enjoyable, it's a fun, you know, yeah, it's not a great movie, but it's a fun movie. I have a lot of fun watching it even without the action. What are you talking about? Ghost House is the best horror movie ever in the history of horror movies. You shut your mouth about Ghost House. Here's the thing, guys. I mean, as a filmmaker, you want people to see your films. And I'm an independent filmmaker, so I don't have any studio behind me pushing my library or my other titles. And, you know, the audience that likes riff tracks also seems to run with an audience that likes genre movies or B-movies or low-budget movies. And so I found a great, overuse the word synergy, I found a great synergy in that. And and I do think that you would, there are a lot of my movies, like Pressure Point, for example, that no one would know about. It would be a library title that wouldn't have gotten released otherwise. You know, it doesn't have huge names. It's got Larry Linville from MASH in it and Steve Rails. Yeah. But you wouldn't know about that movie otherwise. And I'm very straight up clear about that. It's very cool. Um, you know, and and and, and I, I think that that's, you know, for me, it's always been a strength to embrace it. And that was where with Rift Tracks and I, we, we talked about it um, quite a few times. And I, we finally just said, you know what? This is our audience. We want to create some buzz for Accelerator. Th- yeah. These are my people. They know me. Um, they know my filmography better than anybody. Let's give them something during these really troublesome awesome. times. Which is which is pretty awesome, yes. And and thank you for that. Because a lot of filmmakers, they wouldn't be like, no, I have to get paid. But um, uh, but uh, I'm I'm not saying that you don't deserve to get paid. Don't get me wrong. But it's just like no, it's like you. Well, we all deserve yeah. to get paid. But you know, the, I make I make movies um for the audience. I don't really make movies to make money as much as I, especially as I've been doing this for quite a while. Um, I don't make movies as often as I used to. Uh, and I, and I don't really do it for the money. I I've, I've turned down a lot of offers to make like Hallmark movies in Canada for three months. I did one of those and, and that's a slog for me. I like being out in the area where, you know, I do have total control with the movie. So if I want to, you know, go in a certain direction with it or get risky with casting, then, you know, I can do that. You, you can't do that in the TV world um, in, in an independent sector, or even in, even for studio films, you know, so that freedom for me um, is why I keep making movies. And, yeah. and if the audiences respond all the better. So, we we've already uh, mentioned that uh, Time Chasers was your first movie, and it's definitely your most well known. Uh, from what I understand, you were pretty young when uh, when Time Chasers came about. Yeah, I was nineteen. I was I was. You know what? I, I the the truth of it is, um, I graduated from high school. I was working um, for my parents at one of their stores, and um, wanted to. They wanted me to go to go to. I was looking at going to film school, but I had friends who were ahead of me in film school a year or two, and they hadn't really got their hands on a camera. And this was, you got to remember, this is back in the early nineties. Not like, I mean, you can't swing a, a dead cat without hitting a film school yeah. these days. Um, film schools back then you had to go to New York or LA or Boston maybe. Um, and I wasn't down with that. I just wanted to get to work. 
and so I started shooting TV commercials, industrial videos, weddings, you name it. And always with a plan to make a feature. And I made a short film, um, got permission from uh, comic great Will Eisner. I didn't even know who he was at the time. <laughs> uh, to make a short film about uh, his comic book, The Spirit. And then I always wanted to make a feature. And I locked myself away, wrote the feature and did it. And, you know, it's people talk about, hey, you're going to make Time Chasers 2. And, and my answer is always no, because I couldn't. I guess the best way to put it is I uh, didn't know what I shouldn't do back then. Yeah. You know, there were no limitations for me. And and because there were no limitations for me, everyone followed me into that adventure. So if I said, hey, you know, we're going to go shoot next to these uh, revolutionary actors, I'm going to go make a deal and, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll hire a bunch of them and we'll just cut it all together. You know, insane stuff like that. And um you know, okay, you, you, you flipped a car before. Let's see if we can flip a car. Come on, we'll do it. You know, <laughs> that I wouldn't dare to do now. I was, I didn't know what I didn't know. And that was a great asset for Time Chasers. Yeah, that was just a uh, Time Chasers, I think, is like a, uh, it's like a moment in time kind of thing. It's like something I'll never forget. We talked about this before. I mean, it was like Accelerator was too. It was, it was a sweet time making it too. Nice. I've already asked all the questions. I mean, like, I mean, what else is there to say about time chasers unless Jeremy has some stuff that he wants to ask about? You, you know, I have to, I have to actually say, David, one thing I was just thinking about things that we, when you're young and reckless, <laughs> you do things that you look back on and go, that was phenomenally stupid. <laughs> and I will tell you, and I, I cringe, I cringe a lot watching time chasers. Let's be honest. <laughs> so, but the one that, the, the thing that makes me cringe the most is one that nobody knows which is my father had just learned how to fly planes and we were renting all these single engine planes for the movie because we, we had the bad guys playing. We had the hero plane and my father who'd only been flying for about a year, I needed to get a POV of Nick Miller just before he crashes into the mountain. Oh no. And so we're in, a, yes, we're in a little, my father and I were in a little single engine plane, <laughs> me with the camera shooting the POV and him and he wouldn't get very close to the mountain, the edge of the cliff. The, you know, well, I can't imagine. I mean, crashing the plane. Well, I'm dumb enough. <laughs> I was dumb enough to keep saying, Dad, you got to go lower. You got to go lower. You got, and we got way unsafe. Oh, no. We're fine. We both survived. Oh. But I, I cringe because even thinking that it to ask my oh, father to do that. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, hey, you know, when you're, when you're 19, yeah, there's no limits. You're, you're stupid. You're gonna think you're never gonna die, right? That's... I did all that. I shot all that plane stuff, and I'll get off this now. But all that plane stuff, I was hanging out the window. You know? Oh, what? Yeah, yeah that's you, after you shoot plane to plane, you have to open up the window and stick your camera out because you can't really shoot through the plexi. You can't, you can't through the plexi guy. So, anyway. Oh my god. <laughs> so who were who were your? Uh inspirations uh when you were younger when you wanted to, to get your start into filmmaking well i know a lot of filmmakers will say the same thing that you know the spielberg and lucas thing um you know richard donner that you know when i was young what really got me into movies was that oh god i'm one for i'm trying to remember how old i was but there was a couple of summers where you had star wars jaws superman bunch of those movies come out that you just sit in the theater and and they they transport you away and those were my inspirations. My inspirations were not Kurosawa or Godard <laughs> um, they, because I didn't have access to those films. You know, my inspirations were 
um, the beginning of the blockbusters, which I know cineasts, a lot of them, um, you know, look down upon. But for me, it was that escapism that I that I liked um, and that I look forward to. Um, and then, you know, as I've gotten um, I've gotten older, my tastes have changed a bit. Um, but I've always been drawn toward that kind of workmanlike, um, somewhat sentimental, unironic movie. Those are always kind of the ones that uh, I keep going back to, and I think that's why I I, I end up making those types of movies myself. Nowadays. Um... It's it's much easier for people to decide. Oh, hey, I'm gonna go make a movie, and they can just take their iPhone and you know go film something, or uh, like you said, a GoPro and a shopping cart. Um, <laughs> what what kind of advice do you have to give to uh, an aspiring filmmaker? Well, I think, I mean, my advice is subjective, but I think you need to know who your audience is um, before you make your movie. I think you need to say, okay, who do, who do I want to speak to? Whether you're a documentary filmmaker or whether you're um, a guy like me making genre films, who's your audience and how are you going to reach them? Um, and and that's, that's the most important thing right now because there is so much out there. There's so much. This access to technology, which is fantastic, means that there's that much more out there that you're competing with. You know, you're trying to get your work above the noise. So... You know, you need to know who you you need to find out. You know who wants to see it and how the, am I going to get them to see it? I think that's really important. And then the the other best advice I would give uh, any starting filmmaker is keep making movies. Just make movie after movie after movie because this movie may have a your, your current movie it may have some set of problems, mm-hmm. but your next movie will be that much better. So keep moving on to the next movie. And I uh, I fortunately fortunately or not for me, you know, I didn't go to film school. I went to time chaser school of filmmaking (laughs) and um you know my mistakes are there to be seen for everybody but you know what each movie got better and better and better and i got better at all the disciplines within making movies and um that's my first advice is if you want to make movies make movies just get started so a lot of people even people who want to do features who should should start with shorts and just get going there's a lot of frustrated filmmakers that there's no excuse anymore find out what you want to make who your audience is and yeah, shoot it with your iPhone if you have to. Nobody ever, everybody gets all jacked up about what you shoot on. I, when's the last time either of you saw a, movie, saw a movie and said, oh, well, thank God they shot it on the red epic weapon. Otherwise, I wouldn't enjoy it. Right? I don't even know what that is. Right. So there you go. Did we shoot on Panavision or not? Nobody cares. Yes. Nobody cares. Uh, but um, speaking of... Um... Of movies, I I did have uh, some questions about um, about Icebreaker. So Icebreaker, what that was, that had to have been before Lord of the Rings. Yes, it was. So what was it like? Now, um, I w- I was work because I'm involved in uh, the film community here in Utah. Uh, I was involved in a movie. I was involved in the script phase of it, but I wasn't involved in production. That starred. Uh, I'm I'm not going to say what movie it was, but it starred Sean Astin. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked, uh, I asked uh, some uh, some people there. Oh, what was it like working with uh, with with Sean Astin? This was like in 2012, 2013. And um, you know, uh, some people say that he was a little bit difficult to work with. Um, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I can't say I wasn't there. What was it like working with Sean Astin on Icebreaker? Mm, he was a little bit difficult to work with. <laughs> 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 I mean, that's that's the truth. I mean, um, 
Listen, we th- this is I, I get a special pass on being able to to, to say bad things about Sean Astin because <laughs> he uh, no, I'm serious. He is an autobiography that that came out after Lord of the Rings. And the first thing he does, I was in Hollywood. I said, oh, Sean's got a book about himself. What an, ego, what an egomaniac. And two pages in, first page, he's trashing Icebreaker and me. What? Oh, ooh. Ooh. I'm not making this up. It's I think it's called There and Back Again. Um, I think I bought it in, because in a perverse way, I'm like, no, I've got to own this. He's, it, my name's in it. He, he literally two pages in is saying bad things about Icebreaker and, and me. Well, not me personally. Um, and then kind of rolls back and says, but that's just the way I am. So, I mean, Sean's a good guy and I haven't talked to him in a while, but he's what I, well, let's just let it rip. He's Hollywood sperm, man. Okay. You know, he's a guy who grew up in the business. Um, he is very impressed with himself. I'm sure he's a good guy to his family and to other people, but we, um, butted heads on icebreaker quite a bit. And to to the to, and and we were contemporaries. He's a little younger than me, um, and he had directed a short that had won a student award or something like that. And so he fancied himself as amateur director. And I had you know a lot of trouble, you know, with Sean saying stuff like my character wouldn't do that. And I'm like, this is a die <laughs> this is a diehard ripoff that you're being paid more. You, the one actor, are being poor and paid more than the entire crew. Rest of the crew gets this week. So if you need to check, run up the mountain with a, you know, a, an Uzi, then do it, you know? So <laughs> we, uh, we didn't get along super great on that movie. And we had a big, I remember we had a big um, fight scene in the kitchen that's in that movie that was going to be about five times longer than what's there. And I had rehearsed it the night before as a stand-in myself, got all beaten up with the stuntmen um, to have this really fun, um, kind of semi-funny um, because he's the underdog a fight. And it was, we had a perfect, well, it was perfect. And Sean came in the next morning, gave me the old, my character wouldn't do that. And, <laughs> and we, and we lost a quarter of a day and what we got on film was, was nothing like I wanted. And so, you know, we did settle on that, but I will tell you, if you look closely at icebreaker, if you don't see Sean Astin's face, clearly it's not Sean Astin because I mm-hmm. had to, at some point, give up on trying to convince him to go from point A to point B. So we had a, a camera assistant who had the same build, cut his hair and um, doubled Sean uh, extensively in that movie. Um, and I'm wow. sorry, Sean, you could have been nicer about it, buddy. And he, he wasn't. Um, <laughs> not that, not that you know, not that it was a total all the time slog, but when actors aren't game for stuff, um, when they're not down for it, it adds a, a, a pall over things and it's really hard to make a good movie when you've got those problems. So yeah. there you go. Now on, on the other side of the coin, what was it like working with Bruce Campbell? Bruce was fantastic. Um, Bruce straight up do- doesn't suffer fools uh, at all. Um, if he um, didn't like something, he, he, you know, if you could explain it to him, he was cool with it. He was there. The man is a machine in terms of saying lines. I, I don't think he ever miffed a line ever. I don't, there are no outtakes that I remember. I was just like, he could do it straight up every time. Here's what you need. And the only, um, the only time, and, and of course the, the fun, the funnest periods during icebreaker were lunch week during what we had the golden week, because I had, I was, I was having lunch with Sean Astin 
who's telling Goonies, Steven Spielberg stories. I got Bruce Campbell telling Evil Dead stories. And I got Stacey Keach telling John Huston stories and everything else all at the same table. So lunches were a great time. It was just after lunch, things weren't, weren't as much fun. But, but that, but that, that would have been amazing. Oh, that, was, that was super, super, that part was super, super fun. The only time, again, Bruce and I ever had a disagreement, it was very interesting. I wanted to do a safety, um, meaning a safety is you do one more take, even though you don't, you, you got it right. And it wasn't a big thing. He's like, why are you doing a safety? We don't need a safety. And I said, well, yeah, because I got a first assistant cameraman. I'm not completely sure. If he says he's got it, he's got it. We got a lab problem. We got this, we got that and that. And so, I, you know, I, could we please? And he said, okay, sure. That was it. You know, you just had to explain it to Bruce. And because he'd made low budget films, you know, and he made big, big budget yeah. films. So he was cool. He was very cool. Whose idea was it to, uh, to shave his head? It was my idea because he was supposed to be dying in the movie. And I thought he wouldn't do it in a million years. He loved it. Showed up bald, freaked everybody out. It was great. It nice. was great. So, and it, it was a, a way to, to, to differentiate himself from other roles too. And I think he liked that. Nice. So I have to tell you one more icebreaker story. Um, okay. Which is true. So we, icebreaker made a crap. So it was financed by these, this German company and icebreaker at its time in the nineties made a crap load of money, made like four times its budget back. Oh, wow. So, I mean, not for me. I didn't own the rights to it. I own it now. And and, and here's why. So the Germans who financed it, we all, even though we, we didn't get along so great, everybody was down for Icebreaker too, except for Bruce, we killed him off. So Eve Aston was going to come back. Keach was going to come back, but it was going to be called Icebreaker 2 Meltdown. We were going to film it in the Bahamas. And it was kind of the, the polar opposite of, of freezing our keisters off, which is what we did um, <laughs> filming Icebreaker. And the Germans absolutely didn't want to do it, didn't want to do it. They made, and we couldn't understand why you, you made so much money. Like, oh, we didn't make that much money. And I'm like, you've quadrupled your money. So they took the profits from Icebreaker and dumped it into a little John Travolta film you're probably familiar with called Battlefield Earth. What? Oh, God. Swear to God, true story. Swear to God. Icebreaker and, funded Battlefield Earth? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And that is the reason, because they went bankrupt, and that's why I own I, my company, Edgewood Studios, ah. owns Icebreaker. <laughs> True story. That's amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a crazy business. That's awesome. That is an yeah. awesome story. Yeah. That is a you, great you, story. As, as they say, you can't make this stuff up. That's... Uh. <laughs> So, um, so when you produce movies, like it says here, you were just now, for some reason, I was under the impression that you directed Radical Jack, but I guess that's not the case. Um, when you, um, uh, when you produce movies like Radical Jack and Arachnia and, um, both of which are Riff Tracks movies, which mm -hmm. is why I'm bringing them up. Um, how much, uh, input do you, I mean, as a producer, do you want to have control over, the uh over the complete like picture i guess that like as opposed to like well if the director wants to do this but just like like how involved were you with radical jack and arachnia um it's different levels depending on the filmmaker and the situation um on radical jack i was shooting some second unit for that movie um and I was finishing up another movie that we we were we had at the time, so I didn't wasn't super involved with Radical Jack on, until post production when um, they had problems putting it all together and 
and I'm known for my editing prowess, um, not to my own horn. Um, but so, <laughs> so I was, um, I, I was not as involved on Radical Jack, um, just because it had a competent director and I had a producing partner at the time and they had their vision. I was finishing another film. We were busy at that time. Uh, on Arachnia, I was much more involved because it was a small film. Uh, I was actually the uh, director of photography on it. Um, oh, wow. They see, and I did do the, a lot of the final post-production. But Brett Piper, as a filmmaker, um, is a pretty accomplished, ultra-low-budget filmmaker. Um, he's he's even he's so tight with the buck that he makes me nervous. Like, that, and that's, a, that's saying something, right? Yeah, I mean, it really is. We got into a gigantic argument over he wanted to use a lens that had a crack in it. And I said, we're not shooting with that lens. I'll buy you another lens. He says, no, if you do this and that, you stop it. I said, we're not shooting half the movie with a lens that's cracked down the middle. Are you insane? What? So yeah, true story. Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, he, because Brett has worked on such, I mean, first of all, he's a brilliantly uh, super talented animator and special effects guy. Um, but he, you know, for him, the, the little details about, you know, the, the technical things that I worry about to be able to deliver the movies all over the world and in TV and stuff don't really hit his radar. Um, so while I, you know, while I was involved a lot more on, on Arachnia, it depends on the movie. Um, usually most of the movies, even if I'm producing them, I'm usually the, the, the guy who has last hands on editing um, and, and does the cleanup or does the second unit. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, um, I mean, um, like for me, Radical Jack, that's just like pure B-movie gold. I, I enjoyed that quite <laughs> a bit. You. Arachnia, I enjoy on kind of a different level than Radical Jack. Not worse, but just it's kind of different um, in that it's not as um, like you said, it's much more. You, It looks like it's much more low budget than Radical Jack. Radical Jack right. looks like a fantastic or looks like. A like this movie that like you know it has Billy Ray Cyrus in it. Right. It has like all these Roadhouse vibes to it. It has big sets, you know. It has big fight scenes and right. um, yeah. You're and you're you're talking a Radical Jack. Uh, that's a 35 millimeter production with a budget of just under a million dollars or something like that. Whereas yeah. Arachnia's budget was like I think 150 thousand. Wow. So that's the that's what you're seeing is the difference in. Um, crew and cast and lighting and time and all of that, you know. And also writing sensibilities because there's some writing Absolutely. in yeah, in uh, in, yeah. in Arachnia, just like I uh, like the same people made this. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, that's and that would be directorial sensibilities. You know, Brett Piper's sense of humor is completely different from Jim Bradley, who was involved in the screenplay. And uh, and I wrote the, I think I wrote the with a friend the first draft of Radical Jack, and they changed it uh, to that roadhousey thing. Um, and it wasn't, my Radical Jack was more like a, um, I think, the, yeah, the original Radical Jack that I, and this is how things change with movies, it was more of like a um, Indiana Jones, Canadian mounted um, adventure movie, and he turned it into um, what? Roda yeah, yeah, it's really hard to explain. It just, you know, my draft Radical Jack was really different, and that's why I creatively was like, well, if you're going to go in this direction, then, okay. You know, um, but, but I mean, I, I didn't disagree with it. It just was a different vision. Um, and, and, and I, and it's interesting. I, I remember, whereas Brett Piper on Arachnia moves really quickly and you got to love that guy who's running from setup to setup. I remember being the producer on Radical Jack a couple of times going, let's get moving people. Get moving. <laughs> and, you know, and, and then there was the whole thing of, 
Billy Ray Cyrus being super famous, and we had to have autograph signing times. Um, what? Yeah, oh, because right. the locals. Yeah. Oh, went right, it was 1999. Yeah, right. The locals went, <laughs> and Miley was on set. I got to meet Miley when she was a little pup. What? Yeah, she. They visited. They visited. I, well, I, I don't want to get into too many details, but they visited on set for a week. So nice. Yeah. Good people. That's That's fun. Good people. Uh, Billy Ray Cyrus, very sweet guy. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Was, wait, wait. Is that like what other stuff has he acted in? Was that like his only acting thing, or? Well, he did. He went on and did that uh, uh, show called Doc that ran for a long time, a series after that. So he mm. did. He's done, and he's done some other movies since. But um, yeah, he was in some comedy with like uh, Bill Engvall or Larry the Cable Guy or something. Oh, okay. Right. He was oh, like a pro bass fisherman or something. Right. Yeah. You know, as I, I I I like to say here at Edgewood, we get them on the way up and we get them on the way down. We don't get them when they're super famous. <laughs> yeah, so, well, and I mean, that's reminds, kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, what's sort of reminds me of you were asking about Aston. So Sean Aston did have to come back for some reshoots on um, Icebreaker, um, which we did. We had problems with snow levels and things like that. It was it was weather related problems, and we were still talking and things were things were pretty chill. And so I was in a bar with my friend and. Uh, and this, I think, was this the last time I talked to him? I talked to him once since. Uh, and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, can we, can we do this time, this time? Because I'm, I'm going to go to New Zealand and um, shoot uh, these Lord of the Rings movies for like uh, six months. I'm like, what? I said, this is this a TV movie? What is this? I said, no, no, we're going to shoot all the Lord of the Rings movies at once. I said, dude, no, one's, no one cares. I said, are you insane? He said, he said, no. He said, I'm moving my family down there. They're gonna, it's gonna be huge. I said, well, good luck with that. So, <laughs> what do I know? Yeah. Oh man, that so just nice. good for him. Yeah, I guess. You no, know, I gotta say, I'm sure he didn't give Peter Jackson the crap he gave me. <laughs> well, I mean. I don't know if Jeremy wants to leave this in, but I mean, like I talked to everybody who was on the set of that movie that I'm not going to name because I don't want to um, out them. But um, I talked to everybody like like the actors and uh, the producers, like um, uh, like uh, not, not one person had one nice thing to say about him. Yeah, it's I mean, <laughs> I, I, I can't speak to, to what other people's experiences are, but, you know, we were both. I mean that was 1999 1998 we were both young guys and yeah. full of, full of piss and vinegar and we we did we had a bunch you know I'm actually it's funny you mention this I'm looking at a leather bound very expensive brookstone portable bar that sits in the corner of my office it's very expensive mm-hmm. and it was because Sean Aston when we were doing reshoots looked at a rough cut of icebreaker and said how cheesy it looked and I went ripping and we had a huge fight what and <laughs> And, but he sent me, so, so my producer said, Hey man, the guy's working his ass off trying to finish this movie. That was really inappropriate. So a week later I get an apology note and this probably, what is a $600 portable bar? So I, you know, wow. Well, I mean, yeah. Hey, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I call him Hollywood sperm because he is, um, but yeah, you know, we, we had our ups and downs. Not everything was bad with Sean. Um, it's more complex than that. Um, but I, but I, I use that term Hollywood sperm because it's, it, it's, it's basically, listen, if you grow up in the biz and you get in the biz and things are easy for you all the way along and you don't suffer getting into the biz, then you take it for granted and you tend to take other human beings for granted. And I've seen that happen quite a bit. So, wow. That's where I invented my Hollywood sperm term. 
<laughs> it seems fitting. Um, one, one, one more question for you, real quick. Um, and I'm not sure if you're going to have an answer for this or not. But uh, have you watched or do you watch any other uh, like Rift Tracks movies? Any of the other stuff that they've put out? I do sometimes. Um, I, to be honest with you, as of the the as of late, I've just been really busy, and I I'm not, I don't really catch many movies um, because we've been ramping up for the release of Accelerator, and and there's some other business stuff going on. Um, so I do watch some of the other riff stuff and some of the shorts, um, and I do like their stuff. Um, I actually think between it, like for example, for me, if you you compare. As much as the Mystery Science Theater riff was good, I thought the Riff Tracks version was funnier and and better written. Ah, of time, ah of time someone cases. someone agrees with me. Yeah, I yes. thought so. I I know there's a debate about that, but I felt that the Riff Tracks was Time Chaser was much funnier. So, okay, uh, yes. that's good to know because Dave and I feel that way also. I mean, yes. But we can't say that out loud. But you're the director, uh, so you can. Oh, well, okay. Well, you you can edit your you can edit your own opinions out. <laughs> oh no! Hey no, Jeremy, leave no, no, my no. opinion in. Yeah, no, let's yeah, no, gonna stay in there. Uh, no, yeah, we've because some... like, yeah, we've yeah, we got some pride issues with that one. Like, <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> the director of Time Chasers agrees with us. I agree yeah. with you both. Nice. Awesome. Listen to Jeremy and David, folks. They know what they're talking. Woo! about. Oh my gosh! Hey, turn that into a clip. I want there that on my ringtone. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you got it. Oh man, that'll go up. That'll go up for our patrons. Patreon.com slash true blue riffcast if anybody out there wants to support us. Uh but thank you very much for joining us today. It was a yeah. blast talking to you, listening to some of these great stories, and finding out where the funding for Battlefield Earth came from. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, that's that's yeah. Uh for that giant stink bomb of a movie mm -hmm. yeah i can't believe that was funny wow man okay anyway <laughs> true, again true story and and i've never i've never been able to get through battlefield battlefield earth partially because of that because it, i my caribbean vacation was ruined by john travolta <laughs> <laughs> oh along oh with many gosh. other things um, yes but yeah, everyone, make sure to check out uh, the new film from Edgewood Studios, Accelerator, available now on Amazon. You can rent it or buy it. Uh, it's like nine bucks right now if you want to buy it. Um, but yeah, check it out. It's a great film. It's a lot of fun. And thanks again for joining us. Greg, well, thank you, Jeremy and David. It's been a blast chatting with you. And, and thanks for all the love, both of you. I really appreciate it. And um, you guys keep doing great stuff. You, you and you keep making movies, bro, because we will watch All them. Right. Awesome. Yes. I, I'm 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 on it. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. And I'm Jeremy. You can find me at pbandawesome.com. Send me an email, Jeremy at TrueBlueRiffcast.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at TBRiffcast. And I'm Dave. You can check me out at SugarRayDodge.com. Send me emails at Dave at TrueBlueRiffcast.com. And we'll see you guys next time right here on the True Blue Riffcast.